This is the Education Gadfly Show. My, my son, uh, Leandro, is very nervous that we actually are going to move to Canada. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me welcoming my co-host, the Leicester Football Club of Education Reform, Robert Pendicio. Uh, that means that there were 5,000 to 1 odds that I'd have an indoor job in ed reform. Right? Uh, yes, they had counted you out, Robert. You know pretty, what they counted you out? They said, this guy, all he cares about is curriculum. Oh, you know, wow. he's not into structural reform. And yet... Look at you. There you you're, go. You're cleaning up. People beating are coming odds. around. You're beating, beating the, the odds. odds. Me and Lester. There it is. Pretty exciting. That's uh, football, right? Or I guess. I never even heard of the team or the city. Is that a city or it, is it? It is uh, in England. Here's what I know. I was in yeah. Milwaukee, Wisconsin over the weekend and friends that I was with got up at uh, six in the morning to go mm-hmm. to a bar, the mm-hmm. only soccer bar yeah. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. At first time I've heard of it. Like, well, this is history. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. But it was important enough to get up at with a wee small hours to go watch it in the middle of a pub somewhere. Very good. You know, the only time I drank that early was once in college for a St. Patrick's Day. I don't recommend it. I I, I didn't do that even when I was that age. Mm-hmm. Man's got to know his limits, as somebody mm-hmm. once said. All right, let's talk education reform. There are things are happening. People are up at the Education Writers Association this in, week. In it's Boston. It's Teacher Appreciation Week. It's, it's Charter School wow. Week. It's a harmonic convergence of all things education. It is. That. By the way, I, I have for years now been trying to get my friend in the charter movement to move National Charter School Week because, come on, we don't need to go head-to-head against the teachers on this one week. There's plenty of weeks in the year. Let's spread them out, At people. least 40, if you're talking about the school year. Right. Yeah. Right. Pick another one. All right. Okay. Uh, what you got for us, Claire? Mike, you've been participating in a debate with Jay Green about school choice and the role of test scores in determining school quality. You've already found some common ground. What is it? Yeah. yeah you know, what so is it? It, it is. Well, see, th- I was interested in this because Jay Green has been writing a lot lately about how he thinks test scores are being shown to not be very reliable indicators of stuff that really matters, like whether kids go on to have long-term success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am trying to challenge him on that, although that's going to come a little bit later this week. But what I was really glad to see in his opening debate in his opening post was he came right out and said, look, I I don't agree with people who take an extreme position that, you know, we should never override uh, the choices of parents. Jay Green is saying he doesn't like people who take extreme positions. Well, those are my words. Those are my words. Sorry, Jay, I love you. Let me phrase it a different way. Jay Green made it clear that he does think there are times when you have to close a school or shutter a program, uh, even if it goes against the needs of the parents. He's not taking the totally extreme libertarian position that would say, hey, we should you know, give a voucher to parents and let them choose whatever they want and never second guess. Them, okay. Right. That let parents be the one and only arbiter of quality. Yeah. With you so far. Right. Uh, and I think this is important because I have to say that Jay's writing in recent years has been drifting more and more towards that libertarian position. Uh, I think that's fair. And, yeah. and questioning the role of accountability systems in, for example, a charter school sector where, you know, he and some other folks, uh, Cato and elsewhere, like to talk about charter school authorizers as being these distant regulators or these nanny state or top down. I've written before that I think that's that's unfair that the charter bargain was supposed to be results in return for autonomy. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't want those authorizers or anybody else micromanaging what happens inside those charter schools. But if there's a school that is chronically low performing and you are measuring it the right way, you go in, you check out that school and, you know, really cannot make a case that based on some other indicators of mm-hmm. quality, it's doing well. 
I think you got to shut the school down. And and Jay, uh, you know, we're going to be debating some of the contours about this, but he does not dismiss that argument right out of hand on ideological grounds saying okay. basically, hey, you know, we should just trust parents to make these decisions and yeah. they will decide what quality means. Well, you can use me as a focus group of one because this is one I could truly argue round or flat. If, if you're telling me there's a school out there that parents are engaged and savvy consumers of, of education and the test scores are not great and they still want that school open for reasons that are clear to them and maybe mm-hmm. not to us, I could be persuaded by that. Right. Do I expect to ever see that happen? No. Well, well, this is, look, I do think there are schools out there that are so-so on test scores and parents like yeah. it and we should keep those schools open, right? right? The question is, what about schools that are not so-so on test scores? Yeah. You know, if you look at growth scores, you look at value added, they're making zero progress or worse, right? Yeah. And that compared to similar schools even, or kids that are starting at a similar point, their kids are making no progress at all. At the very least, that raises a big red flag. And the authorizer, again, they can look for other evidence. Maybe there's special situations. Maybe it's a dropout recovery high school and you got to look at it somewhat differently. But uh, oftentimes you're going to decide. But the, it, but it's no, it's still hard, Robert, sure. because those schools still have parents enrolling in them. Okay. Oh, uh, sure. You know, by and large, low-income parents well, who, who will make the case that, hey, this is a better option for my child than any other alternative. And, and you and are going to say that, I well, we're going to disregard your choice. It's oftentimes authorizers that are white right. and, and parents who are African-American or Latino. I mean, this, you know, th- there is a bit of paternalism here that happens. But, and And the question is, are you... You know, are we comfortable still saying for the good of the movement and also for the good of those kids, because education is a public good and not just a private good, we have to have quality standards. If you make me choose, I'm going to use your words and your frame. If you make me choose between the good of the movement and parental choice, I'm going to take parental choice. Right. So score one for Jay Green. Mm-hmm. Here's the one the one thing I will say. I, I can't wrap my head around. Maybe this exists. I can imagine a bad school with good test scores. I cannot imagine a good school with bad test scores. Mm-hmm. So as a practical matter, this may be moot. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. Okay. Topic number two. It looks like Donald Trump may be the Republican presidential nominee after all. What's, what? 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 What's this going to mean for education reform, if anything? All right. First of all, for the record, and I, you know, the, we, we cannot endorse candidates here. Uh, we're nonprofit. Uh, personally speaking, I will them? continue to use the never Trump hashtag. Okay. All right. I all mean, right. this is, I think this is disastrous for our country. Uh, <sighs> you know, uh, but Robert's been saying this for a while to me, you know, Mike, this is going to happen. We got to get ready for this. Uh, so it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. You know, who knows if it's a list I don't talk about who knows who's going to win this it's election. I think that Hillary's I think Hillary's going to crush him. I think it's going to be disastrous for the Republican Party up and down the ticket. But we don't know. That's a lot. That's six months off now. What about the next six months? Here's what is I there going to be any kind of backlash or blowback on issues that we care about? Is this totally not about it? There is a reason that I focus on the instructional side of reform, Mike, and it's because the Wednesday after Election Day, you know what's going to happen? The sun is going to rise in the east and kids are going to go to school. Yeah. Yeah, so right. I don't think we have the luxury of just kind of washing our hands of this. Uh, right. But I mean, what uh, I, I guess the here first question, Robert, is education going to come out in the general election Problem, anymore? Does it ever? Any more so come than it, there have been cases in, in the 2000. It was a big focus for Bush and Want for to be Gore. the education president. Yeah. yeah but I mean, they, so they have that bully pulpit. But as a practical matter, especially under ESSA, I mean, this is has election or has education ever been less of an election issue than, right. than in this campaign? Yeah. Uh, it has been a long time since there's been such a low uh, issue. And question would be whether it, it suits anybody for it to become a bigger issue yeah. uh, going forward. I mean, look, I think you're going to hear Hillary Clinton talk about preschools, yep. certainly talk about about uh, making higher education more affordable. 
I probably hear a lot about Trump University in that context. Uh, Donald Trump, do we hear him continue to bash the Common Core? Is that a winning general election strategy? It it might be. It's a good applause line for all the Republicans, honestly. Look, I'm going to quote myself on this. I'm not going to say I don't care who wins, but I do think that this election, and I've written this, should be a wake-up call for those of us who want to call ourselves education reformers. We own a little bit of what has happened Mm -hmm. with the the dislocation in this country. Uh, The education reform movement for whatever reason over the years became when you say ed reform people think urban they think mm-hmm. charter they think kids of color that's who we're there to serve if you are a downwardly mobile white working class american i don't think they think we're talking to them so i don't care what happens i right. think we have to remedy that right okay topic number three clara robert you just read a new report from the educational testing service that does a deep dive on the opt-out movement what did it reveal Boy, um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, there's been a lot more uh, heat than light, I think, about opt-out in in recent months. Uh, This report from ETS takes a deep dive using uh, U.S. Education Department data, state education department data, polls, et cetera, to really kind of get to the issue of who's opting out and what's motivating them. Mike, take a guess what it found. Uh, Opt-out so white? Kind of. Yeah. Not really a surprise. So yeah, you, you are more likely to opt out uh, if you are white, if you are uh, 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 well off, and if your kid didn't do so well on the last uh, round of tests. So no real surprise there. Uh, you know, it surfaces some of the tension between uh, that community and the civil rights community or the, the, the you know, low-income people of color for whom uh, testing is still a, an intrinsic good because it drives a lot of the things that they want, like charters and choice and whatnot. Uh it makes some recommendations at the end, which I think on the one hand, I don't want to be perceived as cynical, um, but they, they come across slightly as slightly naive. Like we need to do a better job communicating the value of tests, mm-hmm. uh, making common cause with the opt out movement that say, look, we agree with you uh, that, um, you know, not every test, not every bubble, t- the bubble tests are no good, mm-hmm. but that's not what tests are anymore. In other words, uh, would there, it's suggesting having kind of a nuanced argument or nuanced conversation in what is frankly a nuanced, averse environment. So I'm not sure uh, this is going to work. Right. I mean, there is that. The, why did the opt-out movement hit at the same time that we did finally move to better tests? If it was really about that, then... Uh, yeah. Well, well, you know, one one data point that I uh, forgot to mention, which is kind of interesting, uh, there does seem to be a very strong correlation between states uh, that have uh, strong teacher accountability measures tied to mm-hmm. tests and the opt-out movement. Sure. Again, no surprise, but it's yeah. nice to see it validated. Well, and, and is, it, is it just me, Robert, or is it still the case, especially this year, that this is a New York phenomenon? That it's... <laughs> It seems pretty quiet in the rest of the country. Now, Colorado is just starting its testing. That was a big opt-out state. I don't know where Washington state is, but I I mean, there's been pockets, but in most of the country, it seems like the big news has been all quiet on the Western front this year. I think so. Outside of New York. Yeah, but that that is a pure gut call, right? Because I have the same sense that you do. Like, yeah, this this feels like- the media coverage. We reached peak opt-out last year and it feels like it's tailing off this year. Except in New York. Except in New York. I I, I wonder if even in New York, like Long Island where I grew up, my hometown, still still a hotbed of opt-out. Out, but we're not going to know until we see the data. Yeah. Um, my, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm, I'm going to say even in New York, it's going to be down a little bit this year because don't forget they uh, took away the time test so you can yeah. take as long as you like. I still think that the, the rubber meets the road a few years ago in New York mm-hmm. and elsewhere uh, when teachers are having their, their evaluations tied even in some small part yep. to these tests. Yep. Uh, that's what seems to be driving this. Yep. You know, you go back, you connect these last two comments, right? The Trump stuff and, mm-hmm. and this and you say, boy, these some of these parents are probably are Trump voters, right? We're talking about middle-class whites mm. by and large. Uh, 
right? Or is are these more affluent college I, I, educated? I, I, my sense know? is they might be a little bit more affluent and educated, but who knows? Okay. They certainly are that, white. That's and, not clear from the from the ETS data. Um, yeah. I, I, and and look, in my view, you know, the the Common Core effort is largely about kids in the middle of the performance spectrum. Right. Uh, you know, No Child Left Behind was mostly about kids at the low end of the performance spectrum. Right. Common Core was trying to set the bar so that those kids in the middle that go to college but mm-hmm. end up in remedial education would have an idea much sooner that they needed to pick it up if they didn't want to end up, right. you know, uh, really hitting a wall once they got to college. Right. To the extent that a lot of those are the Trump voters, you know, that these are uh, that that we've got sort of working class and, and middle class whites in that population. Again, this is the trick. We are trying to help them have good information to know that, hey, your kid is not on track. Right. And, and you know, you need to know that. And then here are some things you might do about it. But man, is that a hard message to sell? And, yeah. and of course, you can imagine. I, I I just would love to know how are parents responding to these score reports that have been sent out this year. First of all, maybe they didn't even notice them, and maybe it's written in total gibberish. And so they, you know, but if they were able to sit down and say, "Wait a minute, this thing is saying this thing from Park or Smarter Balance or from whatever the state test is is telling me that my kid is not on track," yet. My kid's getting good grades. Mm-hmm. The school's telling me that he, you know, he or she's doing fine. They're getting A's, B's, whatever. How do the parents make sense of that? And do they respond with anger, uh, you know, or what? And and look, I think the hypothesis is mostly they're going to not respond well. You know what? Uh, now that you're saying this, I just saw another report, and I want to say it was from Learning Leaders uh, or last week. Uh, and be the, a learning hero. Be sorry, be a be yeah. a learning hero. That's uh, that's exactly right. And I don't have the data at arm's length. Ninety percent of parents. But wait, the data that was that interesting was guess who is uh, the the lowest number for for uh, parents that want yeah. their kids to go to college or, or believe? Oh them. yeah, whites exactly right because they have lots of other options, right? Yeah. So that. That's to bring this full circle to, to the conversation we're having about Trump and getting ed reform right with uh, mm-hmm. the white working class. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Those yeah. who have the least uh, to benefit from yeah. the system are the ones who are yeah. least like, most likely to opt out. No, and it, those who need it the most look, are- and, and I think some of the issues we care about, you know, high quality career and technical education, right. uh, bringing discipline back to our schools, mm-hmm. not being afraid to allow for high achieving kids to go ahead. Some of those are natural ones, I think, for Trump. And yet, yeah, there's a part of me that is praying that he doesn't embrace any of them because then they're associated uh, with Trump. Here's how about this: if he gets to the point as a as a leader, as a candidate, where he is capable of having a sophisticated conversation about education policy, I will be both surprised and grateful. That is all the time we've got for this week. Uh, now it is time for everybody's favorite Amber's Research Minute. <laughs> Amber, welcome back Thank to the show. Thank you, Michael. Uh, so did, did you hear the story about a kid in Brooklyn who said that, uh, I think he was a seven-year-old, he said if, if Donald Trump wins, uh, he's heard that his family is moving to Long Island. Really? <laughs> I think he, to, to Long Island. I think he may have gotten that wrong, but uh, there is there is talk. My my son uh, Leandro is very nervous that we actually are going to move to Canada, and I've tried to say uh, I don't think oh, that's we're keep actually joking. going to go to Canada. Yeah, you got to be careful because he say. does like his house. So. Oh, oh, that's yeah, so funny! Oh, it's amazing how this stuff just goes right on down to our kids, right? Oh, oh my, and- my sons were having a very energetic debate 
yesterday, wow. six-year-old and eight-year-old over which is worse, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Wow. <laughs> what did so, they decide? <laughs> well, they're split. They're split uh, on the uh, uh, on the subject. I love that. Is this a conversation started in school or in your own uh, home? Oh, in our own home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're In our own home. All right. Uh, now you know how uh, what's going on in the Petrilli household. What is going on in education research, Amber? Well, we have a new study out by Seth Gershenson that examines how accountability pressure, the pressure associated with NCLB, yes, we're back doing NCLB studies, hmm. is linked to teacher attendance okay mm-hmm. so he used data from north carolina our one of our favorite data loving mm-hmm. states like it's just got a great database uh for the first two years of nclb okay so he's studying nclb in north carolina for the first two years of implementation and the treatment is failing to make ayp in the first year of nclb which then turns on we all remember this then turns on the threat of sanctions for failing to make ayp in two consecutive years right, right? so now you've got you know that you fail ayp and the effect of that and Teacher attendance right. and on teacher attendance, mm-hmm. they're exactly. all off out of the building looking for other jobs. No, uh, he compares Title One schools that failed to make AYP in two thousand three, okay. first year, to Title One schools that made AYP in two thousand three. Okay, operating under the idea that those who didn't make it would be again under greater pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then he looked at the trends in those two groups of schools before and after NCLB took effect. Hmm. All right. That's I could go on about the methods, but that's the gist. Get it. Uh, on average, failing to make AYP in the initial year of NCLB decreased annual teacher absences in the subsequent year. Decreased teacher absences decreased came to school more. absences. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. By about 10%. Decreased really, absences yeah. in the next year by 10%. Further, the likelihood of being absent 15 or more times, which apparently some teachers are absent 15 or more times. On wow. top of the time off they already get. Exactly. Oh, uh, that fell by about 30%. Wow. Okay. Right. Um, and then he goes into like how these things differ by groups and found that the effect of this accountability pressure, again, associated with failing to make AYP, mm-hmm. is concentrated in the bottom half of the effectiveness distribution particularly those in the bottom quartile, which suggests that this accountability pressure was more effective in increasing the attendance of the least effective teachers. So when you're afraid for your job, you show up. Which is so odd. And I don't know if Seth's listening or not, but I was scrambling because I was looking at the working paper and the published paper and the working paper, he had the exact opposite thing, that it had more impact on the high performing Mm. teachers. Mm. And then the published paper ended up saying, Lisa, I'm like, "Ah, I got to email him and see Mm. what happened here. But the published paper says more of an impact on the least effective teachers. And I should say Seth uh, is one of our emerging education education policy policy scholars. Uh, yes. at, uh, he's at AU, right? American he University? He is. Uh, right? not sure. I'm going to forget that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so sorry if we got that wrong, Seth. Yes. Look, this, you know, so first of all, this is interesting. There's a growing body of evidence. Matt Barnum at the 74 mm-hmm. made this case mm-hmm. that, that, lo and behold, no child left behind worked. And now, that doesn't mean that it was perfect or we right. didn't have plenty of unintended side effects what and there were worked. well and, and that there's also studies on achievement that yes. at least okay. in the very early years of no child left behind you got this big achievement bump, bump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and it it, went, it didn't go back down right mm-hmm. we kind of hit this bump and now it has plateaued uh, but there was that bump uh, mm-hmm. and it, it strikes me I mean we have this situation in education it seems to me that you know we have these big reforms they become very unpopular very quickly yes there's early evidence that they're not working and we abandon them. And then later we find out, oh, you know what? They worked. Well, it's 2016 and this data were what from 2002. I mean, we just have 14 year Because put in the category. So no child left behind to some degree. 
smaller Small schools, schools at least yes. in New York City mm-hmm. to some degree, right? Even charter schools in the early years, the performance data was was not super promising. It's right. gotten a lot better. Now that may be because of policy change and other things, right? Maybe this is going to be how the Common Core thing plays out. Almost Ooh. certainly. Right? Yeah. I mean, you've certainly the popularity is is low and uh, and you've got some people like Tom Loveless making the case that maybe we've already seen right. whatever gains we're right. going to get from this thing. But who knows? Maybe the lesson here is, look, we just have to be careful not to make uh, conclusions too early. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and again, but not that that's easy because if you're a policymaker or a practitioner, you know, you're living in the real world and you yeah. don't have a ton of yeah. time. And then there's the real world effect of, hey, my kid's in fourth grade now yes. and I need need help, need a fix right now. Right. But, and uh, what do you do about like, this is retroactive right. analysis, right? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, uh-oh, we can't go back and hit the redo button, no. you know? So I don't know. I'm with yeah. you. I get the patience part, but yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. it's really, really difficult to say, okay, oh, by the way, we messed up. Maybe mm-hmm. it did have some positive effects, but now we can't learn from it, right? Can we mm-hmm. say, okay, what had this bump on teacher attendance? What policy is similar to that that we yeah. might mimic well, it, no, sure right? you can. I mean, there's some general applicability here, right? If, if a teacher or school fears sanctions, they they show up, mm-hmm. they, they get their mm-hmm. act together. So, right. so it doesn't have to be in CLB. Yeah, policy is very, very good at, at uh, creating a response. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, we, we have to be savvier about anticipating those responses, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's exactly, you know, earth shattering news mm-hmm. that if you pull this lever, something happens over there. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe we would say, what, what would be a school level policy that might mimic this where we didn't have to have this big federal NCLB thing where we say mm-hmm. teachers who call, who, who don't miss more than 10 times get a, what? $50 bonus a month or whatever. This showed that the stick worked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, I've been, <laughs> That's right. well, I, I mean, I would say I put this in more negative terms. I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm very nervous about some of the discipline reforms that are being pushed today mm-hmm. to make it a lot harder to suspend kids. Again, they're, they're I understand the impulse and, and there's certainly places where that suspensions and expulsions have gone overboard. But you can imagine that if, for example, you are threatening schools with sanctions, if their uh, suspension rates are too high, you can predict that right. schools will respond. They, they're not going to just ignore this. Right. Right. Uh, right. So, and, so might reading and math scores, but exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. right. It's just that policy is such a crude lever. Yeah. Uh, and it comes. A crude lever and a slow acting lever. Uh well, in some ways, I mean, these teachers responded so, right away, the first yeah, but they showed up yeah. to yeah. school. But we're, we're not sitting here talking about education right. reform because we're trying to get people to show up at eight o'clock in right. the morning. We're trying to improve educational outcomes. So right. it's, right. it's yes. part three, at least. Yes. First right. they show up, then they improve instruction, right. then things get right. better. It's all yeah. linked. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Amber. Fascinating stuff. It and uh, hey, love it that there is more and more research for us to talk yes. about. And it's and not just that there's a null finding anymore. Right. And <laughs> shout out to the 74 because uh, I think Matt's really servicing some studies that, yeah. you know, aren't, aren't always on our radar screen. Yeah, but I mean, by the way, why do our EEPs not send me their stuff? I say this all the time. Seth should have just sent me the study. They don't right? write. I mean, they don't call. They leave you. home. They're ungrateful. Yeah. Anywho. But yeah. we Money's. stumble upon it somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all the time we got for this week. Until next week. I'm Robert Pundesio. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.